0: This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in Eldorado Springs. Thank you, uh, ladies. I think the worship this morning has just been really, really good. And uh, so thankful for the worship team and for what they've done and for our ladies. It's just been a good spirit here this morning, I think, Really a lot of good worship. Um, I was just struck with that verse that jeremy shared you know if god is for us who can be against us in romans 8 um, i think we kind of focus on the second half a lot who can be against us you know nobody can stop us who can be against us but we really sometimes don't latch on to and believe that first phrase if god is for us That's a great way to introduce our message today. God is for us. The story of Mary and Martha is a fascinating story on several levels. Um, As always with any story in the Bible, uh, there's more going on here than meets the eye. Uh, Jesus has come to visit Martha in her home and uh, she's preparing a meal uh, she's busy in the kitchen getting ready and uh, her sister, Mary, isn't lifting a hand, not a finger to help out. Mary is in the living room sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him teach. Well, we all know how the story plays out, or at least we think we do. Martha is busier than a bee and she she uh, quickly becomes madder than a hornet. Uh, Mary is uh, calmly relaxed, just listening to Jesus, and something's about ready to hit the fan. We don't know how long this went on, but eventually Martha reached the boiling point. She's mad at her sister, she's mad at Jesus, and she's mad at anybody with an earshot. Now, without looking at your Bible, can any of you remember the first words out of Martha's mouth as she marches into the living room the first words out of her mouth lord don't you care let's read the story we'll read the passage in Luke 10 38 to 42 Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Those words are really kind of shocking. Now, I'm not here to go into a big rant against Martha. Uh, I realize that she lived at a different time in history. And that we have the benefit of knowing a lot more than Martha did. This story took place before the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It took place before the coming of of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church. This story took place before people could kind of fit all the pieces together as to who Jesus really was. It came before the writing of the New Testament. I get all of that. So this sermon is not a diatribe, diatribe against Martha. The shocking thing is not that Martha said, Don't you care, Lord? The shocking thing is that many of us say that 2,000 years later with all of our knowledge. We know about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We know about His shed blood. We know that He has come to save us. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the church. We have the New Testament. And still today, many of us are with Martha in the kitchen thinking, don't you care that's what's shocking so this story is almost more about us than it is about martha you see that statement whether on the lips of martha or on our lips it's not really a question she's not saying she doesn't want information from him that's an indictment that's a charge you don't care that's what it is Peter made an even more shocking statement in Matthew 16. Matthew 16, 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priest, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Do you know what Peter did at that point? The Bible says he took Jesus aside. Do you know what that means? It means you're outside and you've got a bunch of kids playing and maybe one of your kids is here and your your kid kind of messes up and he says something he shouldn't have said and you take him aside. You go under a tree over there and you have a few words. Can you imagine doing that to Jesus? Can you imagine taking Jesus aside and saying, we need to talk. It's almost blasphemous, isn't it? But that's what Peter did. And then these shocking words. Once he gets Jesus over into the tree, he says, Never, Lord. Not going to happen. Matthew sixteen twenty-two. This, all this stuff about going to Jerusalem and getting killed and, no, not going to happen. This shall never happen to you. It's like Peter has presented a little glimpse into the plan of God, his perfect plan, uh, God's plan for the ages to save men, and he reaches up on the keyboard of heaven and just hits the delete button. There goes the plan of God. Deleted because Peter didn't like it. Don't like all this negative thought, Jesus. Don't like all this stuff about being being killed. Don't like your defeatist attitude. Ever catch yourself arguing with God or lecturing God? Well, we need to dig a little deeper into this story about Mary and Martha to figure out what's really going on here. This little hissy fit that Martha throws, is that's not the main point of the, the lesson. There's so much good in the story. And I would suggest to you that this is a story about decisions, deciding between what is good and what is best. At least that's how Jesus frames it. No one in this story really makes a bad decision. There was nothing bad about being in the kitchen and there's nothing bad about being in the living room. Mary's decision was to stay in the kitchen and work on the meal. uh, That was Martha's decision. Mary's decision was to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to Him teach. So life is full of a lot of decisions like that, legitimate decisions, and we would call them okay decisions. But it seems like Jesus is interested here in the best decision. Luke 10, 41, once again Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried about so many things, but few things are needed, indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. What Martha gained that day has soon been washed away by the sands of time. But what Mary gained that day laid a foundation in her soul that will last forever. Some of us are servers and some of us are sitters. Some of us scurry here and there serving the Lord and we're busy little bees and knock ourselves out trying to build up the kingdom of God. Others of us are a little more quiet and just kind of sit and listen to the Lord a lot. But I'm not here to pit servers against sitters. I'm I'm not going to even go there because I don't think that's the point of the passage I'm not going to say that being with Jesus and listening to Him should cancel out our service to Him. In fact, I think the more you sit with Jesus, the more you will serve Jesus. But my point is this. Don't ever let your serving take the place of your sitting with Jesus. Don't run yourself ragged serving Jesus when you probably should be sitting with Jesus and listening to Him and studying His Word and praying to Him. Let those words of Jesus sink into your heart. Mary has chosen what is better. Let's just think about that for a second. There are no throwaway words in the Bible. There's no little phrases in the Bible that are there just kind of thrown in. That that sentence is there for a reason. And it comes right out of Jesus' mouth. I'm not here to condemn you, Martha. I'm simply saying, Mary has chosen what is better. Well, as I said, there's more to this story than initially meets the eye. So far, we've said that this story is about decisions, Martha's decision to be in the kitchen and Mary's decision to be in the living room with Jesus, listening to him teach. But did you notice that there is another decision made in this story? It's a decision I would imagine no one ever sees. It doesn't involve Mary. It doesn't involve Martha. Martha. Somebody else in this story makes a very powerful decision. It's Jesus. Jesus makes the decision to not help Martha and to not rebuke Mary. Sometimes Jesus gives us what we really need and not what we want. Most of us, myself included, would have jumped when Martha said jump. You know, if I would have been leading a Bible study in her house and, and I was teaching along and Martha came in and said, Dennis, don't you care that nobody's helping me? I'd say, oh, I'm so sorry, Martha. Uh, I would have jumped up and I would have said, come on, let's all go in the kitchen. Let's help. I am so Sorry. Jesus didn't do that. She said, jump, and Jesus didn't jump. Jesus just didn't go there. You see, if Jesus truly loves us, He has to give us what is the very, very, very best at all times. He can't be true to Himself and give us anything that's second best. So, in this story of Martha and Mary, what is the absolute best thing Jesus can give us? Himself. You see, Martha is saying, Jesus, these people need to eat. And Jesus says, Martha, I could not agree more. They need to eat. And I'm the meal. What I give these people is far more important than what you're going to serve them on these plates. I'm the meal. John 6, 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. More than anything else in life, we need Jesus. You see, He is the goal. He's the prize. He's the reward. More than forgiveness of sins and more than heaven and streets of gold and living forever, the goal is Jesus Himself. He's the prize. He is so much infinitely better than any of the things that He gives us. Once we're in heaven, we'll want to just treasure Him and love Him and hold on to Him as much as we can. Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. In those days... If you bought the field, you got everything in the field. Once you sold the field, forget it. Nothing in that land was yours anymore. You sold it, it's toast. This guy knew there was treasure in that land. He sold everything. He bought the land because inside, he didn't want the land. He wanted the treasure. And that's what Jesus is saying. Hey, guys, I'm the treasure, you know. And you need to do everything you can to lay hold of me and to feed upon me and enjoy me because that's what you'll be doing for all eternity. If God is our greatest good, we, make, we need to make Him our highest goal. We honor Him when we seek Him first and focus on Him in everything that we do. You know, we don't really seek God because of all the good things He gives us. We seek God because He is the good thing. You know, He, he is the good. We honor Him when we live in such a way that everything we do is with a view to pleasing Him and knowing Him better and enjoying Him more. But you know, right from the get-go, Satan has been in the business of getting us to doubt God. He began in the Garden of Eden, and he has not stopped since. Satan appeared on the stage of world history, and within seconds, within seconds, he was introducing doubt into the minds of God's people. Genesis three one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? He, oh, isn't that... Isn't that tricky there how he you know that's a what's that called there's some psychological term for that but playing with people's minds um causing them to doubt and that's what satan does here he it's kind of like eve not see let me give this straight did did god say wait a minute did god say this or did he was it really this And it's all, you can just see the wheel starting to turn in Eve's mind. Like, well, yeah, I think he said this, you know, and doubt. He's been introducing doubt in the minds of people ever since. Fast forward to the story of Mary and Martha. Martha's in the kitchen, everybody else is in the living room. She's overwhelmed, she's in a hurry, she's stressed out. And Satan knows how to push her buttons. You've got buttons too, by the way. I I hate to tell you this, but Satan knows every one of your buttons. And he's going to push them. He does not play fair. He does not like you. He hates you. And he knows what will take you down. He know he's got the, he's got your whole control panel right in front of him. He'll push buttons until you're blue in the face. And I think the number one doubt that God likes to place in our minds is that God is not good. Martha, just think about it. God is not really that good. Look at you, Martha. You're you're there in the kitchen. You're all alone. You know, Martha. No one really cares about you. You're having to do all this work yourself. All your friends and G- Jesus. He's out there just talking to people. You know, Martha, I'm not sure he really cares about you. Fast forward 2,000 years to a small community in Cedar County, Missouri. Several people sit in a church service and they're wondering... I wonder if Jesus really cares about me. From Genesis 3 to July 29, 2018, Satan has been and will continue to push button after button after button, planting doubt, watering doubt, fertilizing doubt, cultivating doubt. God is not really good. God is not really good. That's what Satan wants you to believe. And if Satan can ever wedge that lie deep into the crevice of your soul, the game is probably over. Because once you give up on the goodness of God, you've pretty much thrown all your chips away. You've got nothing to fall back on. If he's not good, you can't, can't, you can't trust his word. If he's not good, did he really die for you? If he's not good, he's not going to answer your prayers. If he, I mean, once he's got you on the goodness of God, you're pretty much toast. We have got to be grounded in God's goodness. So I am here to affirm to you one truth this morning, that God is good. Good. Psalm 11968: "You are good and you do good." Sometimes the simpler the verse, the more beautiful and profound it is. That's about as simple as it gets. You are good and you do good. Peter summarized the whole life of Jesus when he was talking to Cornelius with these words. He just said, Jesus went about the countryside doing good and healing people. That's it. Jesus just went around doing good. So how is God good? Well, point one, God is good in that he knows how to truly satisfy your deepest longings spiritual hunger is wonderful in that it draws us to the lord and makes us to want to, to feed on him and to look to him for our spiritual food thirst is good in that it parches our soul and creates a, a languishing for his goodness and grace the world promises satisfaction but never delivers the lord promises satisfaction and never fails Psalm 107.9, He satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Listen diligently to me, the Lord says, and eat what is good. And delight yourself in rich food. Delight yourself in the Lord, the bread of life. What are you feeding on today? What, what are you snacking on? What are you chomping at right now? What are you looking for? Are you looking for and feeding on the goodness of the Lord or the junk food of life? One author writes, if you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it's not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied It's because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world that your soul is stuffed with small things and there's no room for the great. I was struck by that phrase, stuffed with small things. We're like a kid right before a big meal sitting in front of a TV while his mother's preparing a wonderful meal out there. He's sitting in front of that TV just... then he sits down with the table at the table with the family and you know what he's going to say i'm not hungry and that's the way we are sometimes coming to the lord we're not hungry because we're tanked up on the junk food of life we're too easily pleased with the pleasures of this world cs lewis writes if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the promises of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slums because he can't imagine what it means to have an offer of a holiday by the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Isn't that interesting? We tend to think, oh, everybody is just running here and there and they're gobbling up the things of the world and everybody's happy and everyone's satisfied and, and we're easily pleased and, and we are pleased. And it's, well, yeah, you're pleased by stuff that's really not going to last and it's not going to really satisfy you. Your problem is not that you want too much out of life. Your problem is you don't want enough out of life. Quarterback Tom Brady plays for the New England Patriots football team. He's good, very good. He's got five Super Bowl rings. And uh, Patriots fan over here. And in four of those Super Bowl uh, games, he was the MVP. But at one point in his life, uh, Brady made this statement. He said, why do I have all these Super Bowl rings and still think that there's something more out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, you've got it made. But it's like I'm thinking, man, there's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be, this isn't all it's cracked up to be. Now, why would Tom Brady, with all of his Super Bowl rings and his millions of dollars, why would he say there's got to be more than this? Because there's more than this. There's more than fame, fortune, and Super Bowls, money, machines, and marriages. There's more than just winning. Psalm 63, 1 says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you because my soul thirsts for you. Your love, your kindness is better than life itself. I've always been struck by that verse. It's not even in my notes. It just popped into my head. Your kindness, your loving kindness is better than life. I am just blown away with that verse. It's not even in my sermon. I just think the psalmist is saying, I've got two choices. Be alive or have God's favor. God's favor. That's my choice. Every time. His favor is better than life itself. Point two. God is good in that He doesn't hold back blessings from us. God is good in that He doesn't hold back blessings from us. Psalm eighty four eleven: For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk Uprightly. And there's times I know you're thinking, no, no, Dennis, he really does withhold good things from me at times, to which I would have to say, well, God's timing might not be right for you, and it may not be that good in the long run. What we often think is good really isn't that good. I have been, there's been times in my life where I remember a prayer i prayed say five years ago i can remember prayers i prayed 10 years ago maybe even back when i was in college and i am so thankful god did not answer those prayers you ever done that you ever look back on five ten years and you think man that was the dumbest prayer i have ever prayed what was i thinking god did not answer the prayer And I'm so thankful. But God will eventually bring good things into your life. He'll eventually answer your prayers. And He's in the process of giving you the very, very best. He's in the process of giving you Himself. Sometimes it's hard to wait. Sometimes it's, it's, you know, uh, hard to just submit to God's will. But He is in the process of preparing us for, for heaven and bringing the best. That He has into our lives but you need to remember and latch on to that promise no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is upright. What appears at times to be a lack of God's blessing uh, in what we are doing is in fact no lack at all. It's not even God being neutral if that's possible. God in withholding from us the happiness we seek in certain situations is not God acting negatively toward us. It's not God being neutral toward us. It is God positively working in our lives to make us the people He wants us to be. He is trying to give us Himself. What appears to be a lack of God's blessing in our lives is often in fact the very presence of it. While we gaze out the front door waiting for God's blessing or answer to show up, God sneaks in the back door with grace we didn't even expect. God will answer. And point three, God is good in that He gladdens your heart and gives you joy. Psalm 86, 4, gladden the soul of your servant For to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding and steadfast love to all who call upon you. You, Lord, are good. Sometimes we have the idea that the biblical characters, all of the people in the Old Testament and New Testament, just had a wonderful relationship and a strong faith in God, and they they were just awesome people. But the writer of Psalm 73 says, you know, kind of brings us back to reality. This guy was honest, he was brutal, and he complained a lot to God. And the psalmist in writing Psalm 73, basically his argument is this the bad guys are winning. Here I am a Christian. Here I am a believer. Here I am putting faith in God. I'm trying to obey His laws. I'm trying to walk with Him. I'm trying to be a good person. And I look around and the bad guys have got it better than I do. They get all the breaks. They get all the money. They have all the success. I just don't get it. And we come to this terrible, kind of a gut-wrenching verse in Psalm seventy three thirteen. surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence." innocence. Boy, that is a terrible place to be in your life. Where you basically look at the whole Christian landscape and you conclude this. It's not worth it just not worth it in vain in vain to no point it does not work it is vain that i have kept my heart pure before you that is honesty in the bible the guy is throwing in the towel he says i'm done i am done with this it doesn't work in the bible not my words, it's in the Bible. Psalm seventy three thirteen. It doesn't work. Well, he finally kind of later comes to his senses. The end of Psalm 73, you can study it on your own. He comes back to the Lord. He realizes the error of his ways, and he realizes that in the end the bad guys are not gonna win. Then in Psalm seventy-three, sixteen he says, When I tried to understand all this Man, it was oppressive to me. Psalm 74, 1. That's the next psalm. Why have you rejected us forever, O Lord? Why does your anger smolder against the sheep of your pasture? Believers struggle. Old Testament, New Testament. Days of David. 2018. We all struggle. And that's why we go back to that Psalm 86:4, gladden the soul of your servant. That's me, Lord. I'm your servant. Please gladden my soul. For you, O oh Lord, are good. You are good. Oh, we've got to get anchored, guys. We got to get grounded back in this idea that, that, that God is good. I don't know how Satan gets into our lives, but somehow he slivers into little tiny microscopic cracks in our wall. In our house in Nevada, we have little, I don't know what they are, lizards? We have these little varmints around our house in the flower beds and running around and they are faster than snot. I could never catch them. We lived there 14 years. just running around everywhere. 14 years. But never, never have they been in our house. Until this week, one of those little guys got in our house. You ever try to catch one of those things? I don't Maybe you've never seen them. Maybe it's only in Nevada. I don't know. But you think, how in the world did he get in? I knew something was up. When I was sitting at my computer, one night, calmly working, I think, on my sermon, and I heard a screech, a female scream. Now, it, it, you all know, anytime you're in a house and you hear a screech from the basement, something's down there. That's never a good sign when you hear a female scream two or three floors away. Something's on the, something's on the loose. Went down there, and sure enough, there he was. He's hard to catch. Two or three days later, we were able to end Sally the salamander's life. (laughs) But somehow they get in those little crevices. Uh, These little little lizards, they just get a little bitty crevice in the foundation, and they're through. Our souls, I'm afraid, from time to time have these little crevices that we need to kind of putty up. Because if Satan can get that wedge in there, if he can drive a doubt through the crevice of your soul, he's got a lot to work with. He wants you to doubt the goodness of God. We are here today to reaffirm one more time that God is good Martha was in the kitchen preparing to feed the guest. Mary was in the living room preparing to feed her soul. The world commends Martha. Jesus commends Mary. He said, Mary has chosen what is best. Let those words sink in. Regardless of what you're going through, you need to cling to Jesus and to his goodness. He is good and he does good. No good thing does he withhold from those who love him. Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, he's so good. I'd like to pray for you. Why don't you stand right now? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there's a lot of people here today with a lot of hurts, a lot of doubts. And some of us today may be doubting your goodness. Sometimes our prayers aren't answered. We don't know why you're doing what you're doing in our lives. We don't understand sickness. We don't understand Car wrecks, we don't understand so many things that we come across every week. You know, it just kind of baffles us. And we're so tempted, Lord, to doubt your goodness. Erase those doubts. Help us to be grounded in the fact that you are good and that you do good. Touch the life of every person here right now. Comfort. Strengthen encourage have your way Lord in the life of every person here right now and as we walk out the doors today let's hold on to your goodness we love you Lord and I want to pray for all of these people in the name of Jesus Christ amen God bless you folks have a good week